Bibles are open to the fourth Psalm, page 419 in your church Bible if you need it. Psalm number four this morning, if you're new to Hillcrest, first of all, welcome. And for those of you that are with us online, we welcome you as well. So glad everybody is here today. What a wonderful weekend it has been and it's continuing to be. And I'm excited about this message today as we continue our wonderful series on the victorious Christian life. If you're new to Hillcrest, we've been in a series of messages on what spiritual victory actually looks like, really how to bring it about in your life, how to position yourself in such a way that in these crazy, perilous, uncertain, upside-down, tension-filled times in which we live, you can walk with a light step, your head up, and your heart full, knowing that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Not every Christian who is a Christian lives like a Christian is supposed to live. Some live in the agony of defeat most of the time. And I'm quite confident from my reading of God's word, that's never God's intention. God wants you to live in such a way that you demonstrate by your life that you really believe that God is in fact God. Can I have an amen? And that you trust him with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and that you're living a victorious kind of life because Christ has died for our sins, was buried, and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. In case you haven't heard, Christ has already won your victory for you. Amen. And thank God Jesus is coming again. If you're going to clap, clap. Don't be timid about it. Because I do believe Jesus is worth clapping for. I think he's worth shouting amen over. I think he's worth singing about. We've surely done that this morning. An elementary classroom went out on a field trip one day to visit the local fire department. While we were out on Serve Our City, I noticed that one of our teams took some kids that were with them on a visit to the local fire department number one here in Pensacola. And uh, they had a great time there and it reminded me of a story about an elementary class that went to visit their local fire department and the fire captain there was telling them what they needed to do in case they were in a building and a fire broke out. He said, I want you to take great care if you believe the building's on fire, and one of the things that you should do first is go put your hand on a door. And if the door is hot, that should give you cause for alarm. And then you want to look under the door. And if there's smoke coming out under the door, then that's even more of a concern. And if that's the case, and fire breaks through, one of the first things that you need to do is drop down to your hands and knees. Now, can anybody tell me why it's important for you to drop down to your hands and knees? And a little boy, well, you're not as smart as a little boy in my story. Because <laughs> a little boy in my story quickly piped up and he said, I'll tell you why. We go down to our hands and knees so that we can start praying for God to get us out of this mess. <laughs> I want to talk to you about bringing home the victory in your life through the discipline of prayer. One thing's for sure, if you walk long enough with the Lord, you're occasionally gonna find yourself in the middle of a mess, isn't that right? 
and uh, you would have rather have avoided the mess. You would have done anything to have kept from getting in the middle of it. But there are going to be times where you find yourself in uncertain terrain, where you don't recognize the geography and you don't speak the language and how you respond to the messes of life will determine in large part whether you live in victory or defeat because most Christians go defeatist the very minute that circumstances go negative. Well, if that's the case, you're going to be in a world of hurt because, spoiler alert, circumstances are going to go negative. And they're going to do it fairly regularly throughout your life because, here's another reminder, we are living in a world and it's not heaven. Heaven is coming. But you need to get a reality check today and quit trying to turn planet Earth into your own version of heaven because it's not ever going to happen. The world is broken. We all experience death, disease, decay, corruption, uh, unfairness in life. You need to be prepared to deal with that in a biblical and spiritual kind of way. The Bible calls much of that spiritual warfare. We call it that. That's the way it's presented in the Bible. And we've been talking along those lines about the importance of learning to outfit yourself in your gospel clothing, what Paul called the whole armor of God. In the last couple of weeks, we've kind of been drilling down a little bit along those lines. We've learned what that spiritual armor looks like. And last week, we drilled down even deeper at both of our campuses when we talked about the importance of the offensive weapon of the Word of God. Most all of that weaponry that we're told about in Ephesians 6 is defensive in nature. But taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is both offensive and defensive, and that makes it a critically important part of your spiritual armor. And then there is another one that Paul mentions here as we recognize that there is no victorious living apart from taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and there's no victorious living apart from taking up the discipline of prayer either. The Apostle Paul says it, notice it in Ephesians 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then jumping down to verse 18 to bring the matter to a conclusion, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I just love the way he phrases that because it's hyper intensive, praying with all prayer. <laughs> Seems kind of redundant, doesn't it? Well, of course we're going to pray with prayer. But he says it to make sure that we do it. And the sad reality is there's a bunch of Christians running around calling on the name of Jesus, but they never get around to praying. We talk a lot about prayer. Fact of the matter is we do very little of it. And maybe that's part of the reason why so many of us live defeated much of the time. Praying with all prayer at all times in the Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't connect the discipline of prayer with a specific piece of armor like he does the other things that he talks about here, but uh, there's no question as to its value when it comes to spiritual warfare. In fact, if you read John Piper, John Piper calls prayer the Christians walkie-talkie. Now, Paul wouldn't have known what in the world that was, and no Roman soldier carried a walkie-talkie, but we've all seen images, particularly the footage coming out of Vietnam where they had those big telephone-type devices and how important it is on the battlefield when the smoke is raging and the bullets are flying and, and the flashes are banging, how important it is to maintain a lifeline of communication. And the beautiful thing is, we have it. 
You know what one of the greatest blessings of what the Bible calls justification is? Access to God. Tell me any other spiritual blessing that matters to your life more than access to a throne room in heaven. And so God gives us this incredible blessing of access to him and how little we actually make use of it. And so in Christian warfare, we do have a spiritual walkie-talkie. And if Paul were including it that way, he may say in the same way he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness and fasten your loins with the belt of truth. He might say, pick up the walkie-talkie of prayer so that you might stay in constant contact with the commander-in-chief. With that in mind, what I'd like to do for the few minutes we have this morning is to highlight this indispensable nature of prayer in the battles that we face by turning today to the fourth Psalm as a timely reminder where the author, who is of course King David of Israel, has himself fallen into the middle of a mess. He's in one. He's in a burning ring of fire, as that great theologian Johnny Cash would say if he was here this morning. And the first response from the middle of his mess, from the middle of this burning ring of fires to the very thing that Paul tells us to do as we engage the enemy throughout the spiritual journey of our life, he tells them to pray with all prayer and supplication. And that's what David does here. Let's take a look at it. Psalm number four, we'll read the whole thing this morning. It's eight verses long. Let me invite you to stand together with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and immaculate word. Answer to me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Would you bow with me this morning? And if you know it, say it with me together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you, Hillcrest family. You can be seated. 
This is really a great psalm, as you can tell. So much comfort, so much encouragement, so many reminders here this morning that are valuable to us as we continue to seek a life of victory. The psalm, of course, is as is the previous psalm before it, Psalm 3 and 4, set in the context of the rebellion of David's son, Absalom. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. Uh, Absalom, as the old saying goes, if I can say it in church, was hell on wheels. Amen. He just was. He was messed up. He was proud. He was boastful. He was arrogant. He was privileged and he knew it. And he leads a coup d'etat against his father, a man after God's own heart, David, king of Israel. He'd convinced himself that he could run the kingdom better than his father. And he'd convinced himself that he was better at uh, leadership than his father. And suddenly and very unexpectedly, he just seizes power. And when he does, uh, David is caught off guard and he has no choice but to run for his life. And the Bible says he does so barefoot, without nary a suitcase in his hand, weeping with grief. And all along the way during his exodus, this time of great retreat, he's mocked and he's taunted by many along the way. His response is why we go here this morning because David's response in the middle of this burning ring of fire is critical. When he needed victory and when he needed assurance, David found it. But not in the conventional ways that we tend to think we can find assurance and security and victory. David found it and you and I can too and the way we find it is by doing what David did. And that is taking advantage of the critical gift of access to God. David engages. He prays with all prayer and all supplication in the very spirit of God. Now, I want you to write down three things today if you're hearing a note taker this morning. The first is simply this. Victory comes to those who pray with confidence. I just wonder what your confidence level is in the God that you're here to worship this morning? What is your confidence level in the God of Scripture, in the living God of heaven and earth? David, no doubt, has got trouble on his mind when he pens this psalm. And really, the stage is set in verse number two as David addresses some of these men who are hostile against him during this time of retreat. Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame. Now, we don't know exactly who these men are, but they're enemies of David without question. And many of them are spreading slanderous lies about him. We can infer that from the statement that his honor has been, has been turned into shame and is being turned into shame. And so they're gossiping about him. They're being malicious. They're spreading untruths about King David, and David is just at his wit's end. He's had just about all he can take of that, and so he asks the question that we often ask in times that we feel that God is noticeably silent in our lives. Times that we think that God ought to be doing something and God's not doing what we think he ought to be doing. He asks the question, how long? You ever ask that question of God? God, how long am I going to have to put up with this mess? How long am I going to have to be subjected to these lies? How long am I going to have to continue to have abuse heaped 
upon me? How long am I going to have to go having more month than money when it comes to the end of the month? I can't pay my bills. I can't meet my obligations. I'm uncertain about what's going to happen at work. David's kind of in a pickle like that. We all are at some time or another. And you see the level of his exasperation. One Psalm earlier, Psalm 3 and verse 7, where David prays a very specific prayer to God. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, if you've never prayed a prayer quite like that, you can't tell me this morning you hadn't wanted to. I mean, you know, praying for God to bloody somebody's nose, I mean, that's hurt right there. Kick their teeth out, Lord. Very specific. Here in chapter four, uh, the prayer is much more general, less specific. And no doubt David uh, is riding a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, it's one thing when an enemy turns against you. It's another thing when the enemy is your son, your own flesh and blood. And so he's under emotional strain as well as circumstantial strain. Answer me when I call, he says, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Then that's a, a, a declarative statement. There's no request there. But what that is in its declaration is a cry for relief. David is reminding himself in his prayer, this is not the first time I've been in a mess. And it's not the first time that God has come through for me. And so he's reminding himself. What David needs here is what he's needed time and again before in his life. He needed some relief. He needed some breathing room. Have you all ever felt that way? Like your circumstances were gonna choke you? Like you were literally having difficulty breathing? I've been that, in that pickle before in my life. You probably have too. Everything's kind of on the line. And the only thing you know what to pray for is relief, right? And that's David. There have been so many times in my life where the burden was so great and matters so complicated. I honestly, I didn't know what to say to God. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't frame the concepts or the words into an English sentence. And the beautiful thing about that is you don't always have to. It's always a good thing and a wise thing to learn how to pray biblically. It's always a good and a wise thing to articulate your prayers. I'm just simply saying here this morning that there are going to be times where you're not going to be able to do that because you're underneath a mattress instead of on top of it. Romans 8.26 is a great reminder. It's a precious promise of God. And Paul reminds us there that we can pray with confidence. Why? Because, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's a good place for an amen right there. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings to what? too deep for words. Now remember, Paul's already instructed us in Ephesians 6 to pray with all prayer, how? In the Spirit, right? Pray in the Spirit. And this is why he's encouraging that. Because your spirit is another blessing of what it means to be right with God, what it means to be justified before God as a born-again believer. The Spirit is another of God's great gifts. You get this perfect prayer partner at no extra charge. 
You say, well, I just don't know how to pray. Well, just lean against your prayer partner because the Holy Spirit's within you and the Bible just told you he helps you in your weakness. Times when you don't know how to pray. Pray in the Spirit. Now, sometimes people read pray in the Spirit and they say, well, what that is, and you probably heard it, that's praying in a tongue. But here's the thing. Paul never uses the word tongues in Ephesians at all. Not the first time. It's not there. There's zero evidence that that's what Paul's talking about here. Plus, here's the thing. Not all believers have the gift of tongues. So what happens if you don't have that gift? I don't have the gift of tongues. Does that shut me out in the presence of the Lord? Most Christians do not have the gift of tongues, and you've got many conservative scholars that will argue that that gift does not even exist anymore. Now, I probably shouldn't have even raised all of that <laughs> because the Lord knows I don't have time to even go there this morning, much less solve all of that. But here's what I want to communicate today. I'm here to proclaim that every born-again believer can pray in the Spirit of God. Amen. If you know Jesus, that means Jesus is dwelling in you by His Spirit. We've been baptized by the Spirit and dwelled by the Spirit. We're, we're taught to be filled with the Spirit. You have the Spirit. And because you possess the Spirit, you can pray in the power of the Spirit, you can pray under the guidance of the Spirit, and you can pray in the sphere and in the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jim Locke believes it means to pray in the Spirit. To pray by the power of the Spirit, under the guidance of the Spirit, in the influence of the Holy Spirit that you and I possess. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you confidence as you pray. You didn't possess the Holy Spirit. You couldn't pray with any confidence whatsoever because the Holy Spirit is the one cleaning up your prayer. He's cleaning up all the messes of your life that you're trying to get out. It's like the Spirit takes your feeble attempt at prayer and my feeble attempt at prayer and he takes it from us and he turns to God and he cleans it all up and he says, here's what they're trying to say. And he presents it to God perfectly when the only thing that you and I know how to do because we're under a circumstantial mattress is to groan, help me, Lord. And the Spirit will assist in that. So the Spirit makes up the difference. I love the story about the father that was walking down the hallway to his bedroom one night. He'd put his child to bed an hour or so earlier, but as he passed his son's bedroom, he heard these voices coming through the door and he got a little bit closer and his son was reciting the alphabet in a rather sanctimonious preacher voice. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And he listened to him go all the way the alphabet. Finally, couldn't stand it anymore and he opened up the door and said, what in the world are you doing? And the boy, a little bit embarrassed, looked at his dad and he said, dad, I'm under a lot of pressure at school. Things aren't going well. And I just don't know how to tell that to the Lord. And so since God knows everything, I'm just giving him the letters and trusting that he's going to get it all worked out. Amen. <laughs> I can relate to that. That's how David is kind of praying here. He's not super specific in Psalm 4. But he does know this in verse three, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I 
call to him. Somebody say amen this morning. So pray with confidence, even though you're not always sure what to pray for. Secondly, we notice that victory comes to those who pray not only with confidence, but with maturity. You do need to learn how to pray. And this gets easier the, the longer you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot here in verses four and five, but let me just summarize the maturity by making two or three statements, the maturity of David's prayer. The first uh, thing I would uh, point out is that we shouldn't allow our circumstances to control how we respond in a given situation. Don't allow your circumstances to control how you respond. The Bible says here in verse four, a very familiar statement that you see again in the New Testament, be angry and do not sin. Y'all have heard that before, amen? See, you've heard it from the Apostle Paul because that's also in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's Ephesians 4, 26. And this is probably where Paul got it. He probably had Psalm 4 memorized, truth be told. And so this is kind of David's way of saying, look, when you're in the middle of a burning ring of fire, stay calm. I mean, that's what a firefighter would tell you. That's what he'd tell that little boy at the beginning of our message today. You know, stay calm, don't panic. Because again, uh, you need to remain calm to be reminded that there is a power at work within you that you can trust. Uh, remember, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's the last one of the nine mentioned. So when you pray in the Spirit, what happens is when you allow the Spirit to lead you in your times of prayer before the Lord, you'll maintain your composure. You'll maintain control over your anger instead of letting your anger control you, which we're so prone to do so much of the time. You'll maintain control not only of your anger, but you'll maintain control over your anxieties, over your worry, over your actions, your attitudes. You know, we all can quote the scripture, be angry, do not sin, or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, let your, we all could quote the verses. Living according to them is a totally different thing. And let me say this morning, it is only by dependence of the Holy Spirit you'll be able to obey those promises or obey those scriptures so that those promises are fulfilled within your life. This is the beauty of prayer, by the way. You know, we just, we're so busy. We just don't think we have time to pray. But the beauty of prayer is prayer slows you down. I mean, when you pray biblically, you gotta get still for a minute. You have to be still before you can be calm. So prayer will slow you down and it will aid in the whole calming effect. It'll help you maintain control so that you can focus your attention on a sovereign God. Remember, whenever you panic in perilous times, and so many do, it really says a whole lot about your view of God. I mean, really, do you want your lost friends and neighbors and coworkers to see you out of control? Because all in the world that does is communicate that you're really not much different than they are. It says a whole lot about how big your God is, your reaction in less than ideal times. So David would remind us here, don't get rattled. It's okay to be upset. Just don't let it rattle you. Don't lose your composure. Don't lose your cool. Pray. Slow down. Let God be trusted with the circumstances of your life. And then another thing I think that you can notice here is to make sure that your prayers aren't just one way. See, this is why you do need to slow down. Because what you say to God, are y'all still with me? Say amen. 
What you say to God's only half of your prayer life. Talking to God's only 50% of prayer. So you have to make sure that your prayers aren't just one way because guess what? Here's the thing. God wants to speak to your heart. I mean, in order to live victoriously, you can't just go along in life making everything up according to your own sense of wisdom. You need to know what God is saying to you. Not only that, you need to know what God has already said. And so David's example here is one, be calm. Two, be still. Be still. He says here in verse four, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be what? Say it out loud. And be silent. So connect the two words, ponder and silence. Ponder in your heart. That's a single word that means to meditate. Eric talked a little bit about that last week. It means to reflect or to contemplate, to meditate. The, the phrase be silent means just that. It's a quietness. It's a stillness. And really, that's just as much part of prayer as verbalizing prayer. Psalm 4610 will say it in a way that most of us have memorized. Be still and know that I am God. I could preach a whole sermon on that one statement right there. Be, say it together with me. Be still and know that I am God. And the first two words out of the psalmist's mouth there are critical, be still. You can't, you can't know that he is God if your legs are doing like that all the time. No, you gotta be still. Why? Because listening to what God has to say is at least half of your prayer life. So don't rush into prayer, spew out your problems, spew out your desires, then rush right back into life because what brings victory in prayer is not so much we say, what we say, it's what God has to say. This is why it's a good thing to pray with an open Bible. Pray with an open Bible because it's the word that keeps you from praying selfishly. It's the word that keeps you from turning the Lord into this giant Santa Claus or a cosmic bellhop that's at your every whim and at your every disposal. It's the word that reminds you of what God has already said. It's the word that reminds you of the great and precious promises of God. And I'm telling you, it's the word that steadies your heart in hot circumstances, keeps you stable. So make sure your prayers aren't just these one-way lists to God where you're actually trying to manipulate God into doing exactly what you want God to do. And there are a lot of people that are like that. We just try to get God what we want God to do because the truth be told, if we had the power, we'd just go ahead and do it ourselves and not worry about God. But because we can't do it ourselves in our own wisdom, and because we say we believe God, we'll just we'll give it to God, try to arm twist God to doing exactly what we want. That's not biblical prayer. That's trusting you more than you trust him. And that's not gonna get you victory. So make sure your prayers aren't just one way. You need to hear what God has said and what God is saying to you in his word and by his spirit. Third, learn to praise God in spite of the difficulty. I think praise is a spiritual discipline just as much as prayer is because there are times that you just have to do it. Verse five says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. 
The word of God leads to the worship of God. And that's the beauty of prayer. Prayer is an avenue to the worship of God, even in the absence of a congregation. The Bible says here, offer right sacrifices. Now, David, of course, talking about animal sacrifices in his day, but for us, that could apply to any kind of righteous sacrifice. Sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of time, the sacrifice of giving. Brad was talking about how many people came to sacrifice time to work in their community, show the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an act of worship in and of itself. The sacrifice of giving, aren't you thankful you didn't have to drag a bleeding sheep into the house of the Lord this morning to slit its throat, amen. But we still offer gifts to God. That's an act of worship. All of these things are right sacrifices that we're to offer. And by doing that, by consistently worshiping God, even when you're in the middle of a mess, can change your whole disposition. So don't lose your song. Keep singing. Keep praying. Well, I just don't feel like. Do it anyway. Doesn't matter what you feel like. Your feelings will lead you into a ditch. Forget your feelings. Do what the Bible says. Offer right sacrifices. Don't lose your song. Don't lose your voice. Keep singing. Keep worshiping. Keep praising the Lord. And then fourth, and to quote the psalm directly in verse five, put your trust in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your own creative abilities, not in your own intuition, not in what the advice the best friend in your life has given you is. Don't put your trust in that stuff. I mean, listen, value people, but ultimately trust God to be God and trust the promises of God, and trust God to stay true to the promises that he's made to you. Put your trust in the Lord. And that kind of leads me to the final observation this morning from Psalm 4, and that is that victory comes to those who pray with expectation. Victory comes to those who pray with confidence, with maturity, but victory comes to those who pray with expectation. Do you expect big things from God? Do you honestly believe God has the power to bring you through the difficulty? Now, oftentimes we doubt the power of God because God hasn't led us around the difficulty or God hasn't dug a tunnel under the difficulty or God hasn't brought in a Chinook helicopter to pick us up and lift us over the difficulty. The question is, do you trust God to bring you through the difficulty? Praying through. I mean, that's an important phrase. That's worth the price of admission today. You and I have to learn to pray through the challenges and the difficulties. With confidence, maturity, but with expectation. So David kind of reminds us in this psalm, be calm. And then he reminds us to be still because God has some things he wants to communicate to us. And here in verses seven and eight, he communicates, be hopeful. I mean, we sung about hope this morning. I thought I was gonna float on to glory this morning in the middle of that song about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. And David affirms it here, be hopeful. There are a couple of consequences from David's prayer. The first is joy, joy. When you have hope, 
in your relationship to the Lord, even in the middle of a mess, you can still live with joy. Verse seven, you have put, this is David basically reminding himself here. Now he's having guys taunt him. He's having guys mock him. He's having guys literally throw rocks at him as he's on retreat. But he reminds himself here in verse seven, to God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In other words, what I have in terms of my relationship with Jesus Christ so far, far outpaces anything that my employer can provide to me, anything that my family can provide to me. No greater joy do I have in this life than being reminded that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and I can trust him to meet every need of my life. I mean, remember... There was a time in David's life where David had everything. Now he's lost everything. And what happens when you lose everything says everything about your Christian testimony. David had lost everything. Oh, he hadn't lost everything because he hadn't lost his joy. The gladness of God had invaded his heart and he was joyful even in retreat. Even as the stones were flying and the verbal jabs were coming, prayer reminded him of the greater power of God. Second consequence of prayer is peace. Joy and peace. Verse eight, David moves in one verse from joy to peace. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in what? Well, he wasn't in safety. He wasn't in safety physically. But he still felt safe even in an unsafe environment. Does that make sense? You make me dwell in safety even when I'm in an unsafe environment. I wonder how many of our brothers and sisters in the churches of Ukraine are living that right now. I wonder how many of them need to hear it right now, that God can make them to dwell in safety even in a very unsafe environment. I love how this psalm progresses. It opens with a tremendous burden, right? And yet it ends with this incredible sense of confidence and peace. Did you notice that? Verses one and two, everything's a mess. Verses seven and eight, joy and peace. And this is the way it's, this is what prayer does for a believer. It lifts them out of the bondage of the miry clay of their circumstances. And it lifts them up to a heavenly place where God can flood our soul with his grace, even in the midst of absolute chaos. This, in fact, is a foreshadowing of some of the most familiar words in the Bible, found just a few pages later. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, watch it, thy rod and thy staff, they what? 
comfort me. And this is why in times of crisis, times where we don't know the territory, we don't speak the language, we need to remember that God is real, he's sovereign, he's on his throne, and he's a God of goodness and mercy. And we can trust that his goodness and mercy will follow us all the day of our lives. David's encouraged to remember. I was reading in Deuteronomy this morning before I came to church. And all through Deuteronomy 6 and 7, one word over and over again, remember, remember, remember. We're going to be doing some studies in Deuteronomy here in just a few weeks for the rest of the year. Remember. Because here's the thing I found. Unfortunately, in my brokenness, I came into this world with a very good forgetter. We tend to forget. We forget who God is. We forget the promises of Scripture. We forget the Word of God. Children of Israel were prone to it, which is why at the very beginning of their life in the new land to come, Moses is reminding them, remember. 234 times in the Bible the word remember is used. Ought to tell us something about ourselves, right? Because we constantly need to be reminded to be uh, in remembrance of what the Lord has done for us. And Israel didn't do that very well. They grumbled, they panicked, they disobeyed, they worshiped idols. That's what caused them to be judged. And this is why the psalmist will write later in Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty Deeds Fail to remember God and you will forfeit the joy and the peace that's yours by divine right. Make sense this morning? Victory comes to those who pray with confidence. Victory comes to those who pray with expectation. Victory comes to those who pray with maturity. And here's the bottom line. No matter <clears throat> how strong the opponent no matter how overwhelming the circumstances, whether it's Absalom or Goliath, whether it's COVID at home or chaos abroad, ultimately, the only thing that matters is a sovereign God and my total and complete trust in him. The accusations may not stop. The arrows may continue to fly. The accusers may not retreat. Circumstances may not change. But I'm here to tell you this morning that none of that matters because God is in control. Do you believe it this morning? And he never changes. But you might need to. And what can change is you. So put your trust in the Lord and whatever you do, Pray in the spirit with all prayer and start waving the victory towel because I'm here to tell you this morning, Christ has won the victory. So take it to the Lord in prayer and live with confidence, anticipating the soon coming king who is coming around the corner. And thank God when he does, he'll lift us out of all of this mess now and forevermore. Glory to God in Jesus' name and all God's people said,
Amen and amen. Put your hands together and let's worship the Lord this morning.